Every time I see it, I named Adrena a new name, and I'd like you to share in it with me. From now on, when you see her, her name is no longer Adrena, it's Adrenaline. <laughs> I started calling you that a couple of years ago, and I'm not going to stop, because I think it, it's you. Anyway, I want to say, just before I start teaching, I want to say something about Gary's word, which I really liked, the reflection of the sun off the water. Um, it struck me that the water that reflects the most light is the still water. The more still the water, the more light is reflected. And when we are still with him, when our spirit is still with him, we are reflecting the best of him. Do you know that God never gets anxious? He has never had an anxious moment. He works and lives and moves from a place of great stillness. And he invites us into that stillness. And as we share in that stillness with him, we begin to reflect him most, most clearly. Uh, the Lord told me uh, a number of months ago, he said, um, you can't make war for me until you live at peace with me. And he said, never pray from a place of desperation, at which, we, which I do all the time, by the way, so I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. He said, you want to you wanna find my peace, and then you pray from my peace. So always when we come to intercede over a heavy burden, we find his peace first. And, and that takes some, it, some work. It's some work to enter into his stillness. It is not our nature when we're in trouble to enter into stillness. But the more we can make that our focus and the more we can find his presence and become still with him, we will find us praying his prayers for us and for the situation. And we're praying from a place of peace, which means a place of confidence. We hear him most clearly when we find that stillness. It's worth fighting for stillness. It's worth fighting for that place of peace because that's where we move from. We move from peace to war not from war to peace. In the world, we move from war to peace. That's what we think. But in his kingdom, we move from peace to war. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I, we, did, hey, we, did that. We, we did that before uh, church in pre-service prayer. But you all weren't here. So <laughs> what is the Lord trying to say in that remark to most of you? Father, we thank you for our veterans. We thank you for the peace that we take for granted every single day, the peace that we live in that costs them their lives. And we want to pause for a minute, Lord, and, and realize that that was hard fought. That was no accident. God, please reveal to us the precious, precious nature of the peace that they fought and died for so we could have it. And Lord, we pray for every family that's lost someone in these wars, every person that's lonely because of it, every lost soldier. Lord, we pray your comfort and your peace to them. And we thank you for what they gave up, Lord. Bless their families, Lord Jesus. Bless their children and their grandchildren. Of course.
God. Well, let's, let's pray for a minute right now for those guys that are walking wounded. Father, thank you for Al's word. It's really timely. Post-traumatic stress, depression, fear, loss of identity, confusion, loneliness, broken families, broken homes, lost fathers, lost mothers. Father, we pray your comfort. We, we pray that you would break through for every one of them, that you would reveal yourself in some way so that they can find you and they can find the peace and they can find the hope and they can, they can forgive themselves for what they saw or what they did. We pray your healing to these families, Lord Jesus, and this entire community of our soldiers in every branch of the service. Reach out by your Holy Spirit. Draw them to yourself and give them the comfort and the peace that they need to find you and to go on. We know this is your will to pray this, Lord. There's no question that that's so. So we pray it in confidence in the all-powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this is the, um, this is the last of the identity series. It's finally over. I hope you found your identity. <laughs> Adrenaline, stop it. <laughs> Keep it up. There's one more issue in our identity that we haven't touched on. And I, I think it's, it's foundational. And honestly, it's something we forget. We are so tempted. to. You'll understand what I mean in a moment. We are, we are so tempted to forget this element, this truth of our identity. But holding on to it and understanding it is key to living in the world that we live in. And it's, uh, I'm taking it from... Uh, it's the concept of citizenship in heaven that Paul talks about in the book of Philippians. But before, before we get there, I'm going to summarize Philippians for you because of all the books, it really speaks to uh, many of the issues of what our identity is as a Christian. They're core beliefs, and it works like this. Whatever you really believe, whatever attitudes you really believe in your heart, that is what determines your identity. Identity comes from your thoughts. What you think about God, how you think about God, how you think about yourself, and how you think about others define who you are as a person. That is, that is your reality. That is your identity. And Philippians touches on some really important concepts, beliefs, core beliefs, that if we can have them, our life is going to go better, and we're going to better reflect the light. When we become certain of our core identity, we'll act in conformity with that identity and our lives will change. As a person thinks, so they are. So here are some of the truths that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he's writing, you know, from house arrest in Rome. For a period of two years, he was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. The guards changed rotation, but he was a prisoner in chains for two years. Can you imagine what that's like? No privacy. Never alone. He could greet people. He could, he could, he could meet with people. It was, it was house arrest, but he's always in the presence of a soldier. Soldier. 
And here's what he gives us. The truths that come from his book to the Philippians. The first one is this. That sufferings and trials are a part of the Christian life. Is that news? But we sure have trouble accepting that truth. It's not news, but we fight against that truth constantly. We constantly tell ourselves it's not supposed to be this way. There's something that's, I'm doing something wrong or God's doing something wrong for there to be trials and troubles in my life. What if it's not your fault and it's not his fault? What if it's just life? Then we can expect it. And when we can expect it, it's not going to surprise us or, or depress us completely or leave us hopeless. Trials are part of life. The second one. Now this is the interesting one. That joy is possible in the midst of trials and sufferings. Is it? You see, Paul tells us that it is. Jesus tells us that it is. God tells us that it is. And we're telling ourselves that it isn't. That the only way it can be happy is when everything's running smoothly. Number three, that thankfulness is possible in all circumstances. And that practicing being thankful brings peace and joy. How often do we lose sight of that truth? Number three, that although we're God's well-loved children, we're equally his servants. And so we are to see ourselves as servants of one another. And that's what John talked about last Sunday, bearing one another's burdens. Essentially, we're seeing ourselves as servants of one another. You know, so much of my time spent teaching is to get this one concept across to people that we're God's children, that our identity is, is, in, is, is in the fatherhood and the childhood that he brings to us. And that's true, but we can't forget that we're also God's servants and hence the servants of one another. You see, when you focus only on your childhood in God, and you don't look at the fact that we're servants of one another, if you just look at your childhood, you end up as spoiled children, where everything is mine, and it's all for me, and, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm his well-loved child, and so I don't have to expect anything but blessings from him and from others. No, we're not just his children. We're also servants, or we're servants to one another. Fourth, that seeing ourselves as servants enables us to pursue humility in all of our relationships. Which is part of being a servant. You can't be a you can be subservient without being humble, but you can't be a servant without humility. Number five, whether times are good or times are bad, our focus is the same in each one. Our focus is on Jesus. In fact, finding him in the crisis changes the crisis. That's that place of peace I was talking about earlier. But finally, the one I want to look at today is this concept of citizenship in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, 
but our citizenship is in heaven. What a radical concept. (laughs) Our citizenship is not as Americans. Our citizenship is not as Canadians. Our citizenship is not as Mexicans. Our citizenship is not of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. It is with Jesus in heaven, and it's in a transformed way. How can Paul be so full of joy, changed to a Roman soldier? How can he endure rejection and slander and beatings and have joy? It's because for him, reality is not in these experiences. His reality is in heaven and what he is there, what he has there and what he expects there. That's his reality. His reality is in his relationship with Jesus. So the bottom line is we're not made for this earth. This life we're having now is not our real life. I first encountered this concept reading C.S. Lewis a long time ago, and he really put it well. He said this, something like this. He said that if we see this life, this earth as our home, and the place where we really belong, we're going to find it quite a hard place to live, and we're going to have lots to complain about. But he said, on the other hand, if we see it as a Motel 6, in which we spend a few nights on a journey home, then we'll see that as a place to sleep while we're passing through, it's, no, it's not so bad at all. See, we're on the way home. This isn't home. This is a place we're passing through. We're on the way home. And as a place to sleep on the way home, it's okay. No, it's not a five-star resort. It doesn't have a swimming pool and a spa. It doesn't have room service. We even have to make our own beds. But they're clean. There's no bed bugs. As a place to sleep, it's okay. We're not citizens of this earth. We're citizens of heaven. And the truth is, our joy and contentment will never come from how many stars this hotel has. It comes from knowing who we really belong to and where we're going. I really like it. I can't quote who it was because I can't remember, but one Christian psychologist I read put it this way. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. You see, we twist it around. We're so, we're so conscious of our physical nature. We're so conscious of the physical world around us that we think the spiritual experiences we have are the exceptions in life. No, 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 no. We were born from eternity and we're going to eternity and the time we spend in heaven with Him it's like, it's, it's like the Pacific Ocean compared to one little drop out of an eyedropper that's taken out of the ocean and dropped on the sand and disappears almost instantly. And the time it takes for the drop to hit the sand and disappear is our human lifetime. But the Pacific Ocean is eternity. We're having a physical experience right now because we're in a physical world. But that's not our nature, and that's not where we're going, and that doesn't define reality. We're spiritual beings, born of God, 
on the way back to him. And now from this truth, the whole rest of the book of Philippians makes sense. (laughs) He starts by telling people in the church to agree. Stop fighting. Adrenaline, be nice to Pastor Mark. It's difficult, but you can do it. Why? Because we're all united in Jesus and we're citizens of heaven. I don't have to care what country you're from. If you're a Christian, you're my brother, you're my sister. I don't have to care your background. And you don't have to care about mine. If we're Christians, our reality is much higher than these circumstances or where we came from or what education we have or how much money we have or how athletic we are. These things don't matter. They're passing. They're gone. They'll soon be nothing. We'll hardly remember them because we'll be so caught up in Jesus. We'll be so caught up in being with him where we really belong that all these things are a confused passing thought that we have trouble remembering. So why are we so caught up in them right now? All these differences, they're nothing compared to what we have in Jesus and our common citizenship. And then he goes on in chapter 4 to tell us to rejoice. You know, here it's, it's almost painful Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Really? He's in house arrest. He's essentially in prison. He has no privacy. He's awaiting death, by the way. It did turn out that they killed him. So any fears he had about death were genuine. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And I think, are you serious? I mean, come on. Where where are you finding the resource to rejoice in the middle of these circumstances? But wait, it gets worse. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Seriously? The Lord is near. Doesn't seem like it. Do not be anxious about anything. Are you kidding me? But in everything... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. What have I got to be thankful for? My life is in the toilet right now. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here's the payoff. And the peace of God, which transcends all of your understanding of your present circumstances, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Come on, people. That's good stuff right there. So he even expects us in the middle of complete chaos to find something to be thankful for. What can we be thankful for in the middle of complete chaos? I am a citizen of heaven. This is not my home. My present suffering is nothing compared to what is coming for me. I'm on my way home. I will soon be with perfect love. I will look into the eyes of perfect 
love. And these present difficulties will be difficult for me to remember because I'm on my way home. Do not be anxious about anything. What does your quarrel with your friend mean looking back 10,000 years from now? What does the fight you had with your wife mean to you 10,000 years from now looking back and you can't even remember what you fought about? 10,000 years from now, what does it mean that your earnings projection this year was inaccurate? What does it mean 10,000 years from now that the stock market dropped and you lost some money? What does it mean 10,000 years from now that you're involved in a lawsuit not of your making that wasn't your fault by the stupid idiot somebody else did and now it's costing you all sorts of money and you don't sleep at night? What's that going to mean 10,000 years from now? Nothing. Nothing. So why am I getting caught up in it? I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) And maybe to you as you Use your circumstances as an analogy. Come on, guys. We have lost sight of who we really are. We've lost sight of our identity. We've lost sight of our citizenship. Because the world is imposing itself upon us constantly, trying to tell us this is all that matters. I'm all that matters. I'm the world. I'm your present circumstances. I'm all that matters. Buy into that. Believe it. I'm all that matters. This is what's really real. That's a crock. It's stupid. It's blind. It's confused. It's misled. It's deceived. This present circumstance is not your life. Your life is in heaven. And the more we can get hold of that, the more we become free of the control and manipulation of the world trying to tell us what's real and what isn't. course yeah how can you bring heaven to how can you bring heaven to earth in your prayers if you don't really believe it because you're busy defining your prayers by your present miserable circumstances it's what i said we see it's it's parallel to what i said we pray from a place of peace the peace comes because we know our citizenship is in heaven we're not we're not defined by this existence And when you bring your request to God, you do it with thanksgiving. Guys, if you want to find peace, practice thanksgiving. If you want to find that place of peace with the Lord, practice thanksgiving pretty much as a discipline all the time. That idiot cut me off in the freeway. Praise God, there's a freeway. (laughs) I mean, come on. This traffic jam is not who I really am. (laughs) My wife doesn't really understand me. What was that? Yeah, all of a sudden. No, No guy in the room flinched. 
It's like with, at those auctions where if you, you scratch your nose, you buy something, and it's a million dollars. You just you sit perfectly still, like, let that comment go by. Don't even twitch. Don't just let it go by, Mark. Let it go by. She didn't really hear it. She's thinking about her dress. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Just don't flinch. <laughs> exactly. Well, ditto. Goes both. Goes, you know, the two ships passing in the night. There's two ships. They, they equally pass in the night. The myth of male-female communication. Anyway. This life is not the whole story. You're a citizen of heaven. You're having a temporary and passing earthly experience. No matter what, you're attached to Jesus forever. You are not home yet. You're not home yet. I'm not home yet. Tell yourself, I'm not home yet. This isn't, this isn't the extent of reality. This, this, this is a passing thing. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. When I was praying about this to the Lord, about my present circumstance and the anxiety, he said to me, I've told you this, but it's, it's becoming true now. It's starting to happen, and it's really, really interesting. In the beginning, I'd have these terrible panic attacks and fear. And I said, what are you doing? Like, what, how do you, what's the redemption of this? What are you trying to build into me in this? What can I cooperate with to make this go more smoothly? I'm just looking for a way to get through it. What's the payoff? And he said, when this is done, fear will no longer be a theme in your life. Oh, Lord, that took my breath away. Oh, wow. Because fear has been a theme in my life as long as I can remember. And I thought to live without fear would be incredible. And I'm going to tell you, he told me that about a year ago. And I haven't had one of those attacks for quite a while now. I, I wake up in the night thinking strategically about the situation, but I don't have any fear anymore. It's just weird. It's, it's like, like, God, I hope this lasts. Please, please make this last, because this is a whole lot easier to take than what it was. And part of getting through it is finding that place of peace with him and hearing his reassuring thoughts in my mind. But the other part is realizing this is not my reality. This is not my reality. I'm going to heaven. And I won't remember this when I get there. So here's some practical things just to take out about four or five points that we can walk away with to answer the question, what does citizenship in heaven mean in practice? What are some things I should hold on to and remind myself occasionally that this is the truth? Well, the first one is simple. The values you live by as a citizen of heaven are not the values of this world. We live by a different value system. I'm a Canadian living in the U.S., and I critique the culture I'm living in here with a different set of values. I critique the culture we're living in here through a Canadian set of values. And they're not the same. It's a different culture. It's a different history. It's a different country. It's a different citizenship. 
And every subculture and every community has its own understanding of reality. Different set of values. I'll always be this way. And here's something really important to understand, guys. Whatever earthly culture you live in, whether it's country A, B, C, D, E, or F, the one universal all those cultures have in common is that the values of those cultures are not the values of the kingdom of God. Okay? Like, we may differ on the importance of family. We may differ on the importance of celebration. We may differ on... Differ on, on the, our view of sports. We may differ on a lot of things, but that's irrelevant. Those are nothing. The real issue is this. None of those cultures are the culture of heaven. None. And we have to learn to see beyond our earthly culture, our conditioned culture, into seeing what is a kingdom culture and what does it say to our earthly culture. And I thought a lot about this. I want a rule of thumb. I want, a, I want a little lens I can look through that's going to make it really easy for me to critique my earthly culture through the lens of the kingdom of God. And here's the rule of thumb. Jesus said it. And it is really, guys, it is so handy and so quick and effective, you won't have trouble figuring out kingdom values anymore. It's this. What people think is important, God thinks is useless. And what God thinks is important, people think is useless. Luke 15, 16. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So any time, and it works almost all the time. There are a few times where it doesn't work perfectly, but most of the time it's really simple. Whatever the value of the world is, do the opposite. Let me give you an example. People and how you view them. In the world, education, good looks, money, fame, success. This defines a person's worth. And we are tempted to treat people according to that value system. And what does Jesus say? The least of these the least of these. That's the one you love. You love the least of these. That, man, that straightens my attitude out a lot. See, most of the time, you can simply turn the values upside down and you'll know what to believe. Just flip it. Whatever the world's trying to tell you, just flip it and you've got God's viewpoint. Isn't that cool? I try it on the drive home. Try it. You know, what's the world been trying to tell me? What's advertising trying to tell me? What's television and the movies trying to tell me? Take that, flip it upside down, take the opposite, and you'll find a proof text somewhere in the Bible that supports the conclusion you came to. Number two. Do not expect the same rights or rewards as those whose citizenship is of this world. The world rewards those who obey its values. That's the system. When we buck that system, 
Don't expect the world to reward us. It's not gonna. The world rewards those who embrace it. The gains are real, but they're short and ultimately terminal. Our Christian goals are long-term. They're not short-term. The dividends we are going to receive on our investment into the kingdom of God don't come until the kingdom of God is complete. The most important promises we live for will not be fulfilled here on earth. The best stuff we believe will not be fulfilled here on earth. Number three, and it follows on the heels of that thought, don't expect justice in this world. Don't expect this world to be fair. Don't expect life to be fair. It's not fair. I go to Mexico a lot, and I try to drive there as little as possible. Because if, as a Canadian, I drive in Mexico and I have a car accident, I'm going to jail. And then I will prove it wasn't my fault. But I'm going to do it from jail. That's just the way it is. Don't expect the world to be fair to you. And here's the truth we need to face and begin to plan for. As Christians, we're becoming a target for persecution. We see it increasing, but it's going to get a lot worse. We will be accused of hate crimes because we stand for the word of God, because we have an absolute uh, moral compass, which is the word of God, and we're living in a relative moral compass, which is whatever the greatest number of people say at any given time is what's right or wrong, because this is the world we live in, we are going to be persecuted. And that persecution is going to get worse and worse and worse till the, till the job promotion that you really wanted, you won't get. Till the school you wanted to get into, if they know you're a Christian, you probably aren't going to get in. You think I'm overstating it? I'm not overstating it. There's university professors that were terminated because they believed in creationism. It's just the way it is. And here's the really weird thing. When it happens to you, it means you're on the right track. Did I do something wrong to attract this persecution? No, you did something right to attract this persecution. You're standing up for the Lord. You're standing up for the kingdom of God. You're going to take heat for it. The world's not going to treat you justly. Number four, you will never truly feel at home in this life. At the best of times, there's still something missing. At the best of times. Because you see, you're not home yet. God has placed eternity in your heart And you should seriously worry when you find yourself truly feeling at home in this life. Because if he's placed eternity in your heart, there's something in you that's drawn to that. And when you stop being drawn to that, be very careful. Check your heart. Something's wrong. I was driving 
uh, leaving the house one time a couple years ago. And I was by myself in the car. And a song came on the radio from the 60s. And it's one of my favorite songs all time. And, and uh, all of, you know how a song can take you back? You know, like you feel like you felt then? I'm there. I'm on a beach in, in Victoria, Canada. And I'm about 14 years old, 15 years old. And I'm listening to this song. And it, the first time I heard it, it was on a little transistor radio. You know, with a little speaker about this big. And it rocked my, because I'm into music, it rocked my world. I mean, it was like I heard the birds doing Mr. Tambourine Man with the 12-string Rickenbacker guitar, those jangly, beautiful opening chords. And it just, ah, it was like, it was like a, it was an amazing experience. So I'm driving down the road and Mr. Tambourine Man comes on the radio and all of a sudden I'm back there on the beach listening to that thing. And what I, what I got in touch with in that moment was this sense of innocence because bad things hadn't happened to me yet. And this feeling that I all of a sudden was back feeling and remembering of the optimism I had about life. Like every day waking up was an adventure. Every day was something exciting was going to happen. It was, it was this thing I used to live in. And this feeling is so strong in the moment that I'm, all of a sudden I start to cry. I'm crying in the car because I realize I don't feel that way about life anymore. It's been decades since I felt that feeling of that kind of innocent optimism. And I'm overcome with this sense of loss. I mean, I'm crying in the car, and I'm crying out to God, and I said, I will never feel that way again. It's gone. That part of me is gone. The sense of loss was overwhelming. And I said, I mean, I just cried and said, I'm never going to feel that again. There's been too much damage and too much disappointment. And he spoke to me very clearly. And he said, in heaven, you will feel that way every day for eternity. And it was like, thank you, Jesus. That makes sense to me. Is it possible to be contented in this life here and now? Yes. But if but only if you keep these core beliefs in mind. Paul finishes by saying one of the most important things he's ever said, and he says it about money, but it's true about everything. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. What's his secret? His citizenship in heaven and his attachment to Jesus. His citizenship is in heaven and because of and that's because he's attached to Jesus. Jesus is his focus. Jesus is his joy. Jesus is his peace. Jesus is his belonging. Jesus is his identity. He's invested everything in his relationship with Jesus. 
And so he can live with a heavenly perspective that nothing on earth can shake. And that's our goal, right? That's our goal. And are we ever going to do it perfectly? No, I don't think so. Are we going to fuse in and out of it and segue in and out of it with life circumstances? Yeah, I think so. But listen, we're defined by our goals. You're defined by your goals. You're not defined by whether you achieve your goals. You're defined by having goals. Goals keep us centered. Goals put us on the right track. Goals are the truths we see in the distance that keep us on the path towards them rather than veering off left or right. Goals are your compass. So here's a goal. To never forget my citizenship is in heaven because I've made Jesus my everything. And I may not live that way all the time, and frankly, I don't. But I know my goal, and I return to it. And having that goal brings me back to that path and centers me where I'm going and what I'm heading to. Does this make sense? Well, let's consecrate ourselves to it. Let's take a minute right now and just say, God, this is what I want. I get it. This is what I want. You're going to have to help me with this. So let's pray. Jesus, I confess I really need your help in staying centered in you. I need your help in remembering that my citizenship is in heaven, not of this earth. And it would really make it easier for me, Lord, if you'd touch me with your love frequently, just to remind me of who I really am. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. I belong to you. I'm on the way home. I'm on the way home. I'm not there yet. I'm on the way home. And I can get through any difficulty because you're with me and you're all that really matters. Help me to keep believing that. Help me to keep seeing that. Help me to make choices consistent with that truth. Help me to analyze the world according to whatever it highly values, God says is useless. Whatever the world thinks is useless, God says is really important. Help me to to apply that little formula to all sorts of situations I face. To analyze the movies that I see and the TV that I watch and the books that I read and the commercials that inundate me. To analyze all of this through that lens. What's really important? What's my destiny? Where am I going? Where are you in the situation, Lord? How can I find your peace? Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to do this, Lord. Help us to do this.